Cindy and I have been blessed uh, over the weekend to have our grandkids from Enid here, and our daughter-in-law Amy is here this morning. Uh, she said, I want to spend the night again so the kids don't have to get up at, after I take them home. <laughs> so uh, she'll, they'll go home this afternoon, but it's been a joy to have them in our home. And it's so fun when you when you call it. Maybe you experience this too. When you if your grandkids are out of town and you call them, and you do FaceTime with them, when I get on the phone, they go, "Where's Gigi?" It's it's never, "Hi, Grandpa. It's good to see you. Send me money like you usually do." But no, it's "Where's Gigi?" So I just I don't even call them anymore. I don't know who they are. Just sad, but they uh, they love their Gigi. That's that's awesome. We're going to finish our series this morning on the vision, and uh, today uh, I want it to be a fun day. I've been kind of heavy on you the last couple Sundays. Today is going to be a little bit more more fun, uh, if you can have fun in a sermon. We're going to try to do that. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, but before we go too much further, let's hold our Bibles up and our electronic device with your Bible on it. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, Own the vision. Own the vision. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. I want to talk to you today about joyful generosity. A church was getting ready to take pledges for a building program. And so the pastor and staff thought of an ingenious way to increase the giving. So they hired an electrician to come in and he wired all the seats in the worship area. And so when the pastor got up the next Sunday, he said, Listen, we're going to do our pledges in public here in sanctuary this morning. So he said, All of you who would give me $10, stand up. And so they hit the electric voltage, and boy, half the congregation jumped to their feet. So he thought, This is going to work neat. So he goes up to $20, and they hit it again, and more jump up. And so he just kept increasing the voltage and increasing the amount and the voltage and the amount. And then they finally got through. And after they got through with all that, the, they were back in the back counting the offerings and uh, really, I mean, working feverishly to get everybody's name down and what they'd offered to give. And when the head usher came in, he goes, Preacher, we've got four people that never stood up. They held on to the very end. They wouldn't rise out of those seats for anything. He said, we got a problem. He said, what's that? He said, they're electrocuted. <laughs> now, I'm not going to try to raise money out of you that way today, and I hope you're, you appreciate that. But we need to have fun in our giving. Some people refuse to give no matter what. So don't worry if you're not a giver yet. 
Because I believe one day you're going to be. If you're not a tither yet, I believe one day you will be. Because I tell you, you can't, you just can't understand the joy until you begin that process of giving away your money and giving it to the church. It just amazes you what God can do. Because generosity brings great joy to everybody. And that's really the story in our text today. In the first century church in Philippi, they discovered the joy in giving. They had supported the Apostle Paul in all of his missionary efforts. Uh, So Paul writes them basically a thank you note in our verses today, expressing his gratitude for those gifts that they have given him. But in the note, he does not tell them how much the gift helped him. He tells them how much of their gift helped themselves. And that's what's important. And I hope that you leave here today realizing that what you give can make an eternal difference in somebody's life. Let's, let's pick it up in chapter 4 at verse 10. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have, not that I am uh, uh, speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet... It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So you see, when the Philippians believers began to give, there was fruit that increased to their credit. God never overlooks what you do for His kingdom. Ever. He notices the smallest, the biggest, the greatest. He notices it. We beat Broken Arrow Friday night. I wasn't sure we'd beat Broken Arrow Friday night. Jinx has not been that powerhouse type team that you've... It's like what Brad has now. I mean, nobody wants to play Brad in Booker T. Washington. They can run all over you. You know, that's the way Jinx for years has always been. This is a different year. They can say, well, we're rebuilding. Okay, that's fine. I've seen state champions come out of rebuilding years in Jesus. But something different happened over there. And when they're, they were on the two-yard line, their, their tailback fumbled on his way to the end zone. A little thing, but I believe it changed the whole tenor of the game. Because had they driven and scored that touchdown, I think that would have given them a momentum that, they couldn't have, that we couldn't have stopped. But it's just a little thing. 
It's always just a little thing that can make a difference. And so it is in our giving. It's just that little thing. Whatever you do, whatever spot that you give can make a difference. So I want to give you three things this morning out of our verses that I want you to take away. Number one, give and bring praise to God. Give and bring praise to God. Give and increase God's fame in the world. Give and cause people to rejoice in the Lord. Look at all the relief contributions people have given during these hurricanes and earthquakes. Mexico, Florida, Puerto Rico. Uh, Football player J.J. Watts, uh, Watt down in Houston. He alone raised over $30 million. I think he started out saying, I'm trying to raise $200,000. And in a month's time, got over $30 million just from folks like you and me. He set up a warehouse and got a lady to oversee it. And if you had a need, you just go by there and get it. No strings attached. That's awesome, isn't it? That's awesome. But that comes from the generosity of people. See it all the time. And that's what Paul did when he received the gift from the Philippians. Look at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly, how? In the Lord. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Their gift, that made his day. You ever gotten a gift like that? It just made your day? And usually it's a little bitty small thing. But it'll make you day because it was meant and brought from a heart of love. And you see, boy, big difference, isn't it? Aaron's real good about sending me songs that make me cry and challenge my heart. And I think, does this guy work at all? Or what does he just go through song lists? But it's kind of like when I preach. If, I, if you feel like your toes are stepped on, it's because mine are crushed. So I'm just trying to share the load, okay? And I'm sure that's what happens. He'll run across a song that will touch his heart, and he says, I bet, it'll, I bet it'll touch somebody else's heart. Thank you, brother. Keep sending those songs. I love it when Bryant brings some of the black gospel music in for us to hear. I love it. I love it. Mainly because it's got, it's got such a beat to it, you can't forget it. It's like that song that we just played. It's got a beat. You just whoa, stay with you. Here we go. I love it. I was watching, um, oh, goodness. Uh, he's a song leader, black song leader. Wore a, white, wore a white suit in this particular video I was watching. He was leading the worship. He's in, and all of a sudden, he just starts dancing from one side of the stage to the other side of the stage. I told Cindy, I said, hey, I'm going to do that. She said, you'll be in traction, man. Don't don't, don't be. uh uh But Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Gift made his day. And, and remember where Paul is when he's writing this? Where is Paul? Do you remember? He's in prison. He's in prison. He's sitting in a jail cell, and yet he's rejoicing. Your giving, your giving can do the same thing, and, and your generosity will cause people to rejoice in the Lord and bring glory to God. That's why we give. Amen? In 2015, a Harvard professor, Robert Putnam, criticized organized religion for being useless. 
His criticism reflected the attitude of many non-believers. Putman said, The obvious fact is that over the last 30 years, most organized religion has focused on issues regarding sexual morality, such as abortion, gay marriage, all of those, without addressing, in his mind, real needs in the world. The Washington Post countered his article with facts about what was really going on in the American church. Listen. Robert Schwartzwalder, what a name, and Pat Fagan, the writers of that article for Washington Post, said, Broadly speaking, American churches are incredibly generous to the needs of a hurting world. Then they brought their facts. In 2009, overseas relief and development supported by all American churches exceeded $13 billion, with a B, billion dollars. Compares... That compares to $5 billion sent abroad by foundations in the same year, $6 billion from private and voluntary relief organizations apart from church support, and $9 billion donated internationally by corporations. We outdid all them. In 2012 alone, the evangelical group, a relief group, World Vision, spent roughly $2.8 billion annually to care for the poor. And that ranks World Vision among 12th within the G20 nations in terms of overseas development assistance. In addition to that, Christian groups such as Samaritan's Purse, Food for the Hungry, World Relief, and many others provide hundreds of millions of dollars in anti-poverty programs at home and abroad. When Red Cross leaves, Samaritan Purse stays. One of the most tragic stories I heard out of Houston and that I read out of Houston People would bring relief items to churches, and churches wouldn't be open at the time, so they would leave them on the doorstep of the churches. And guess what the Red Cross did? Came and got them. Just stole them off the porches of the churches. And you might say, well, how dare they do that? One of the past presidents, and I'm not going to name him, but one of the past presidents set up a, a law that allows... The Red Cross to take what they want, when they want it, wherever they want it. Wow. But how about the countless hours that churches and ministries and individual believers devote to helping the poor? They're involved in clothes closets, food pantries all over the country. They do things like drive the elderly to medical appointments and care for the abused women in their private homes. You see, the generosity of God's people all over the world is a powerful witness to the love of Christ. Their giving brings great honor and glory to the Savior that they have in their heart. Listen to this story. Nijol Sajinate. Boy, I'm messing up the name. But she was a Lithuanian Christian who was severely persecuted for her faith under communism. She was arrested in 1974 for publishing underground reports of the persecution of Christians throughout the Soviet Union and then was eventually exiled to Siberia. After Joel's suffering became known by various Christian organizations in the West, a large number of believers sent her many care packages while she was in exile. Although it was against the law, the communist guards made her pay up to 45 rubles to receive those packages. 
prisoners in exile received a starvation wage of 75 rubles per month for work they were required to do, 20 of which went to their housing. But time after time, Najol accepted these packages and then paid for them. Then she repackaged them and mailed them to Christians in other parts of the Soviet Union that she believed were suffering worse than she was. The communist guards and postal officials couldn't understand it. Her kindness and sacrifice really blew them away. On one occasion, some girls were, who were members of the communist youth organization asked her about this behavior of repackaging and sending to those in need. And she replied that she wanted to help her brothers and sisters in Christ who were suffering. And then the girls asked her, if we were put in jail and you learned it, would you send us your care packages? And Najol said, of course, if I knew your address. If I knew your address. So see, her sacrificial giving brought honor and glory to Christ. It confused non-believers. Caused them to, and, and caused other believers then to rejoice in the Lord. See, your generosity will do the same. Your generosity touches a lot of people, which takes me to our, my second point I want you to take away. And that is, give and participate in the spread of the gospel. Give and participate in the spread of the gospel. Be a part of the good news, giving the good news of Jesus Christ away. Get, be a part of it. You know, Bryant has used his illness to proclaim the Lord. Coach Trimble does the same thing. We need to do that. When God gives you a platform, use it. Use it. It doesn't hurt. I love what the football team in Wagner did Friday night. They all came out holding American flags, the football team, when they ran out on the field. That was the neatest-looking video I've seen in a long time. A bunch of high school nodheads carrying flags. I'm surprised they didn't drop them or trip one another and fall over them. But that was awesome to watch that happen. That's how the Philippian believers felt. Look at verse 15. Well, verse 14. First it says, You shared my troubles. Then 15, No church entered into partnership with me except you only. I love the words shared in partnership, don't you? They come from the same root word koinonia, which means fellowship. Have all things in common and share together. Philippian believers shared in Paul's troubles. They shared in his victories. They shared in his ministry. You see, when we have a, a message from A.J. Law in India, and he reports so many baptisms after a, a crusade or a meeting that they have, that's part of us, because we support them in the work that they do. When we have the Freedom House ladies come, and we hear them testify of where they were and where they are today, we, we rejoice in that, because our giving helps in that respect. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we see victories at Cookson Hills from kids that were abandoned and left... And we see them growing and maturing and then graduating from high school and becoming productive adults. We can rejoice because we're a part of that. When we hear of baptisms out of Sunset Bible Camp, we can rejoice because we've been a part of that. Does that make sense to you now? At John 3.16, we go every month and we serve over 100 people on those nights when we go. And we can rejoice because we're a part of that. The Philippian believers, through their giving, were just as much a part of Paul's ministry as he was. So when Paul planted a church, 
they were part of it. When he stood up to the kings, they were part of it. When his ministry needed support and they gave it, they were part of that as well. Years ago, a gentleman named Roger Babson said this, One dollar sent for lunch lasts five hours. One dollar spent for a necktie lasts five weeks. One dollar spent for a cap lasts five months. A dollar spent for an auto lasts five years. A dollar spent for a railroad lasts five decades. A dollar spent in God's services lasts for eternity. Isn't that true? Because God can take so much from so little and do so great a thing with it all. Amazes me. A little girl who loved the Lord longed to share the message of salvation with those who had never heard it. So she contributed a penny to a missionary to help with the work of beginning the gospel and bringing the gospel to the people of Burma. That small coin was all she had. And so she gave it from her heart. And some of you give a little bit to this church, but it's such a big gift because of the heart that you gave it with. You following me now? That missionary in Burma was deeply touched by that child's earnestness and decided he would do the most he could with that money. He thought about it. So he purchased a gospel tract and personally gave it to a young chieftain in Burma. Now, what the missionary didn't know is that the tribal leader was illiterate. But even, even so, God gave the ruler a burning desire to know what that tract said. So he traveled 250 miles to find someone who could translate that tract for him. And after he heard the gospel message, it wasn't long until the young chief came to faith in Christ. He returned to his people and told them what the Lord had done in his life. And later, he invited the missionaries to come and to preach to his entire village. And many tribesmen who heard the good news trusted Christ as their Savior. And it was all because of one dedicated penny that a little girl gave when she gave all she had. When the plates passed and one of the kids drops in some pennies, don't look past that gift. Because that gift can make all the difference in the world. See, she'll be rewarded in heaven for giving that penny. Amen? She will. She'll be rewarded in heaven. And there'll be people, when the Lord says, is anybody here can testify that you know this girl? And look at the hands from that tribe that were raised from Burma and say, We're here because of her. We're here because of her. Won't that be a glory day? How's it going to be a glory day? You see, God can do the same thing in your life. There's a book in the book, God So Loved He Gave. Justin. Borger shared a story about a girl named Tammy, a homeless woman living under a bridge in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. After giving Tammy some basic hygiene supplies, Justin 
Borger didn't hear from her for a few weeks until she called and said that she had been raped. So after he brought her to the hospital, Tammy started attending church where Borger attended. Church also started providing vouchers so she could buy food and other items. But what Justin realized it, and it was creating a problem because Tammy kept giving the vouchers to other people. So Justin told her, Tammy, you need to keep this for yourself. Otherwise, you'll run out of food. But living under the bridge meant living with other needy people. And it was unthinkable for her to receive a gift and then not share it with others. So she looked at him. She looked at Justin and said, why can't I give some too? And Justin wrote, I found myself taken aback. Why shouldn't Tammy be allowed to give some of what she had received? Wasn't that exactly what I was doing? And so Justin paused for a moment, and then he gave her a very pragmatic answer. He says, well, we're driving, or we're giving this to you, not to everyone else you meet. And yet Justin recognized the deeper problem. To only receive and never give back is belittling and humiliating. Over time... Justin says that he began to think of Tammy as a kind of pet project in which he was always the giver and she was always the recipient. But the good news is, is that God not only made us to be recipients of His grace, but also participants in the movement of His own generosity. So if you've tasted grace, it's been extended to you, give it to other people. Give it to other people. I am trying desperately to drive better. I just get in the center lane and on the interstate. Let them pass you at will. And they will. Corey Duart likes to drive fast. He was down in Florida recently and he was on the interstate going from the north part of Florida to the southern part of Florida. And he says, boy, you can do, you can do 90 miles an hour on that thing. I don't know if that's the stated speed limit or if that's Corey's speed limit. But he said, man, I was doing 93 miles an hour. And he said, they were passing me like I was standing still. I said, man, I'm going to get off of that road. I didn't know we had the Autobahn here in America. God not only made us to be recipients of His grace, but participates. He wants us to, to be participants in the movement of His generosity. It's an honor to give, a dishonor to only receive. So give and bring praise to God. And then finally, my third point I want you to take away is to give and profit from it yourself. Give and profit from it yourself. You see, give and experience the fruit of your generosity. Give and discover the benefits of your liberality. That's what happened to the Philippian believers. Look at verse 17. Paul told him, I don't seek your gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your account. He says, your giving doesn't profit me as much as it profits you. And then Paul continues, beginning at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Their gift was pleasing to God. Which not only brought praise to God, it resulted in the promise of God's richest provisions in their life and in Paul's life. They had supplied some of Paul's needs, but now Paul tells him God will supply all their needs. That's what happens when we are givers. And look at verse 19. It's a promise for forgivers. It doesn't apply to all Christians. It applies only to those who give. You're never going to get the promise of verse 19 unless you are a giver. Brandon Cook was visiting his dying grandmother in a New Hampshire hospital with a Panera Bread Cafe nearby. After the visit, he posted this following comment on Panera's Facebook page. Here it is. My grandmother is passing soon with cancer. I visited her uh, the other day, and she was telling me about how she really wanted soup, but not hospital soup, because she said it tasted awful. (laughs) She went on about how she would really like some clam chowder from Panera. Unfortunately, Panera only sells clam chowder on Friday. So I called the manager, Sue, and she and told them the situation. I wasn't looking for anything special, just a bowl of clam chowder. And without hesitation, she said, absolutely. She would make her some clam chowder. And when I went to pick it up, they wound up giving me a box of cookies as well. It's not a big deal to most, but to my grandma, it meant a lot. I really want to thank Sue and the rest of the staff from Panera in Nassau, New Hampshire, just for making my grandmother happy. Thank you so much. Within days, that short post received more than 800,000 likes. But more importantly, more than 35,000 people commented on the post in commending the restaurant for their generosity. And as a result, Panera's same-store sales increased 28% the next quarter. And the quarter after, the same store sales went up 34%. Now, there's no way of proving that it was in a direct result of this Facebook post, but that rapidly spreading goodwill generated by one person performing one act of kindness was amplified nearly a million times over. Reminds me of the proverb in the... In Ecclesiastes 11.1, which says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. That's the way life normally works. People who give usually receive back what they give, and often more than what they give. Philippians 4.19, that proverb becomes a promise. For the believers, this doesn't usually happen. It always happens because God's promised it will happen. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not out of His riches, but according to those riches. Reminds me of an old story I read of former pro golfer Arnold Palmer. I'm not sure if it's a true story or not, but... It sure fits for my sermon today, okay? He once played a series of exhibition matches 
in Saudi Arabia, and the king was so impressed that he proposed to give Palmer a gift. Palmer declined. He said, it really isn't necessary, Your Highness. I'm honored just to have been invited. I would be deeply upset, replied the king, if you would not allow me to give you a gift. <clears throat> so Arnold Palmer thought for a moment. And he said, all right, how about a golf club? Well, that would be a beautiful memento of my visit to your country. The next day, delivered to Palmer's hotel, was the title to a golf club. Thousands of acres, trees, lakes, clubhouse, and so forth. You never know the generosity of a king. And so what's the moral of the story? In the presence of the king, don't expect small gifts. And when we give, the king of the universe has promised to supply every need according to his riches. So give and bring praise to God. Give and participate in the spread of the gospel. Give and profit from it yourself. In Nine Steps to Financial Freedom, Susie Orman writes about a time when she was in Mexico and there was a merchant who was selling parrots. They were not in cages and they didn't fly away, which fascinated her. So she asked the merchant, do these birds just love you so much that they have no desire to fly away? And he laughed. He said, no, I trained them to think their perches mean safety and security. And when, they come to think, and, and when they come to think this, they naturally wrap their claws tightly around the perch and don't want to release it. They keep themselves confined as if they've forgotten they know how to fly. Was that hard to do? She asked. And in her book, she writes, Suddenly a light bulb went off in my head. We are just like those poor parrots. We have been taught to clutch our money as tightly as we can, as if our money is the perch of our safety and security. Just like those parrots, we have all forgotten how free we really are with or without the perch. The more afraid we are, the tighter we hold on, the more we have, the more we have trapped ourselves. And when Orman realized this, she asked the merchant, how he would go about unteaching that behavior. He said, easy, you just show them how to release their grip, and then they fly away freely. There's the challenge for you and me. I urge you, when it comes to your money, release your grip and find out just how free you can be. Give and experience, Philippians 4.17, the fruit that increases to your credit. Father, I ask you this morning, would there be one today who's ready to increase their giving? Would there be one today who would say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. We've had five families say they're going to try the tithe. And may they do so in such a powerful, bold way to not only look at the 10%, they might increase it a little bit just to, just to see how you're going to bless them. Because they will receive a measurable blessing because you've promised that. And your word is not a lie. Your word is truth. So God, as we release the grip we have on money, may that residual blessing come in whatever way you see fit each of our lives. Maybe there's somebody here holding on to 
such a tight grip to the back of the chair that they, were, they refused to accept you as their Savior. Today would be a great day for that. Maybe there's another person who just needs to come and get on their knees and pray. Would you encourage them to do that today, Lord, through your Spirit? Prompt them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as I am. That's the only way it makes us. Let's stand and sing.